I, I've got to be honest with you, I find this subject challenging to teach. In this current culture, I find it challenging. So uh, pray for me. It's very important and um, very neglected right now, best I can tell. So it's, um, it's an important topic to cover for a lot of reasons, and I hope to touch on every one of those. So we have um, a past in the church, right? Some of you came up in the church in various ways, different denominations. I think we represent every denomination known to man here in this any given Sunday. And um, in those traditions, some of you came up with, um, you know, a, abundance of Sunday school, right? Sunday school, Sunday school, Sunday school. Church was Sunday school and then the worship. Wednesday nights, Sunday nights, training hour. You had, what do you call it, different things. Uh, some of you um, memorized scripture at home. You were homeschooled. There's all different kinds of influences. Um, but and the long and short of it was, the gist of it is, if train up a child the way he should, he should go, and when he's old, he won't depart from it, basically. And it's teach your children as parents the scripture, to memorize scripture. And uh, that, that was it. I mean, I didn't come up in the church. I'm going by what I was told. Uh, some families here are big enough to actually have been a tired denomination. They had their own youth group at home, and they did the same. I'm not naming any names. So I was, uh, I was not blessed with that. I, I was not exposed to that. I didn't have anything. I, my only prayer on Sunday morning was that my parents wouldn't get a wild hair and want to go to church. That was my prayer. And it was answered quite often. And, uh, but I know from what I hear that, that that learning hour, that training hour, whatever that was, was a big, huge deal. I also know that we're a couple generations away from that. And uh, that, too, is a big deal. That, uh, that offers all kinds of uh, possibilities for uh, challenges. Um, we're not as, the church in the United States of America is not as biblically literate as it used to be for two reasons. Uh, we don't really, well, we do here, but as a rule, we don't really train our children the scripture. Or their parents were the generation that skipped church, and they're certainly not doing it, so now the grandparents are trying to do it. But there's, a, there's all kinds of issues that come with that, all right? Not only that, you could teach, you could teach the scripture Okay, you can teach children to memorize the scripture. You can teach adults the scripture and teach adults how to memorize the scripture and still be eating off the wrong tree. There's two trees in which you eat off of when you, when you receive teaching. One is the, the tree of life. That's the one you want to eat off of. And the other is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's knowledge. Knowledge has its place, but it's not the tree of life. Put it this way. There's a lot of criminals on death row who know more scripture than anybody in here. They eat off the wrong tree. In fact, I've met many a Christian over the years that kind of have beaten my head up about with Scripture, and they turned out to be not who you thought they were. And I've seen many of them go to jail as well for various things. I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. The Scripture sometimes is a big facade we put up as though we are someone who we're not actually inside. But outside, we portray ourselves to be that way. Scripture can do that. That's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The tree of the knowledge of life is that the Scripture is what I'm about to share with you. So today, what do we have? 
We have a church that doesn't meet as often during the week as it used to. We have a church that's half online, half in a pew. Uh, we have a church that um, globally, well, I just say domestically for right now, um, that probably makes less of an inve- investment in our, we make less of an investment in ourselves as it pertains to memorizing scripture than, than ever in our life. I think that's a pretty fair statement. Uh, as a result, I think we have less evangelism than we've ever had. Uh, and we put, put forth less effort week in and week out as to understanding and knowing the scripture. I think what has happened somehow is we never had the training that the foundation that was built for a lot of us, we never had. That was me. And then I would say in addition to that, um, we've gotten lazy. The world's creeped in. Uh, there's an entitlement thing. I think online ministry has, uh, without, without us really wanting this, caused us to be more entertained uh, than actually put in the work ourselves. I think that's a, that's a factor. I think the pre-COVID and the post-COVID has, has left the church in the United States kind of in this place where we realize, well, we don't have as many people to do the work that we need to do. It, imagine if you had your family, let's say you had four chi- children and two parents, and uh, you had a family meeting every week, and it was on, uh, let's say, Saturday morning, and uh, you got in your family room to have your family meeting, and two of the siblings zoomed in. And you were going to have a discussion about what's going on in the family, what can we do better, what's going on around the house, what do we need from each other, what do we need to share with one another. But the two that were on, that zoomed in, let's say they didn't have sound and couldn't say anything. But you're still trying to have a great family. It's just that that one third of the family can't say anything. And that rotates. So you've got family issues, you want your family to grow, but, but part of the family as a spectator has no way in verbally on anything. Now multiply that across tens of thousands of churches and what do you have? You have a triumphant church by, by the prophecy of Jesus Christ who's going to get a lot done, but it's actually going to be done by a lot less people. All right, so think about this. If you're a pastor and God's going to do more through his church than he's ever done before, but he's going to do it through less people, what as a pastor would you do for the people that you have? I hope it has something to do with depth. I hope it does. Because the world needs the church to minister to the world from a posture of maturity and depth. Anything less than that is going to be problematic. It would be like going to Europe and looking at the church there where you you have kids and you put them in the car and say, come, I'm going to show you where I went to church when I was a kid. Well, what's a church? Well, I'll show you. It happens to be a hardware store right now, but that's where I used to worship, right there in the electrical aisle. Or it's a bookstore or a coffee house. That's a nation, that's that's a continent of nations that basically stopped feeding themselves the word of God. And, and if things don't change one day, we won't call it Europe, we'll call it uh, Arabia, Because the Muslim influence from that particular world religion were, were certainly overwhelmed, the secularism of, of Europe today. So we, th- this is kind of the, the, the 
the context in which we find ourselves, it's not a blame game by any means, it's just a status report, that um, that's where we're at as a church in our country. Now, you can draw your conclusions about the rest of the country, but righteousness exalts a nation. If you have less righteousness than you used to have, you're going to have less exalting of a nation. Uh, you don't have any righteousness at all, you're not going to have much righteousness as a nation, and we're going to get creamed. The church leads the nation. The nation doesn't lead the church in God's eyes. Okay? So having said all of that, we're going to talk about Scripture today and what role does it have in our life and how do we, this is, this is a serious conversation now, how do you and I look at the way that you and I eat and digest truth? And is it done on a level of depth enough to actually make a difference to anybody, starting with you and starting with me and us collectively? Okay? So let's, you got your sheet, let's do it. I have here now for you um, uh, Psalm 119, verse 9 through 16. We'll look at that for a second. Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible, and what's it about? It's about the word of God, basically. Uh, Psalm 19, verse 11, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you, is a, is a well-known verse, as is verse 105. Thy word is a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Okay? It's all about the scripture. It's a great, it's a great psalm to read if you find yourself away from your Bible. It's a great entree to get back in. Okay? So we see this psalm here, and it says, how can a young person stay on the path of purity? Well, I think you would agree with me. I mean, every generation has its issues, but uh, purity is not something we're really strong on right now in this culture. So how do you stay on that path is not a bad question. Thanks for asking it. Um, how, how can a young person stay on the path of purity? Question mark. By living according to your word. It, apart from your word, we don't really have purity. We have man's definition of purity, ever-moving, ever-evolving definition that morphs to please man. But in terms of being pure in the eyes of God, no. You have to have the word. You don't do that apart from the word. So the question now, the first question I have for you is, how central is the word of God to you in your life? in your mind, your heart. Then he says, I will seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. We're back to the word again. <laughs> what typically happens when people leave the church is if they don't get involved in a, in a, a Christ-centric, spirit-filled, word-centric type atmosphere, their lives tend to fall apart. It usually takes between six months and a year. You'll see a significant difference in a person's uh, uh, life. Uh, and they don't realize when they're in the context of the church, how important one another are to them or to be there or the encouragement or the truth, the things that they don't even know, they, they don't know what they don't know, how God ministers to them, and then when they depart from that and divorce themselves from that, it, it's subtle, it's like a slow drip, it's not that obvious, your life tends to fall apart, or something does, because Christ holds all things together. So I seek you with all my heart, that's the key there. It's not just, are we eating of the right tree? That is paramount importance, tree of life. I'll explain that in a minute. But are we doing it with all our heart? Uh, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Uh, very important. Um, and I want to talk about that verse with you. I have, it's, it sounds odd, doesn't it, really? Why would you hide it? There was a movie called Monuments Men. How many of you saw Monuments Men? It took place, a great movie. 
uh, took place in, during World War, it takes place period peace in World War II. And a small group of men were charged with the responsibility of recovering, recovering stolen artwork that the Germans had taken. Not only from every Jewish household, but every museum and every place they had precious artwork around the world. Paintings, sculptures, you name it. Tens of thousands of pieces of precious art. And the long and short of it is, they discovered where the art was being hidden. And it was being hidden in the mines, salt mines, copper mines, various places that the Germans had put it underground and sealed it, I guess until the war was over, when they could recover it, enjoy it, whatever they had in mind. But also in these mines, the monuments men found uh, gold. Barrel upon barrel upon barrel of gold that was taken out of the mouths of Jewish people and kept. But also bullion, bricks of gold that were precious to the Germans of, of a huge amount of money. I don't know the amount. It's not important. And they were stacked, counted, recounted, inventoried, and they filled these mines in various cities. And when those monuments men discovered this gold, they opened this, un, they un, it was behind a brick wall. They broke the brick wall and they went in there, turned the lights on, and they saw basically the net worth of the entire population. That's what that word hidden means. You have taken the word of God like a precious treasure and you have treasured it up, stacked it, appreciated it, counted it, recounted it, used it, reused it, and kept it accessible to you whenever you needed it. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Where is it hidden? In one's heart. One's heart. So the first thing I want to tell you about memorization is that most of us have it wrong. We think the memorization and the storehouse is in our mind. It was never intended by God to be in our mind. It has always been intended to be in our heart, treasured up, laid up in our heart. Very key. The reason I say memorization and you go through some sort of PTSD fit is because you can't memorize any more than I can right now. But what we don't understand is we don't understand memorization. It's supposed to be something not just used by the mind. Okay, we'll get to that in a second. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's Matthew 12 and 34. Not out of the abundance of the mind. When you partake of the heavenly manna of the word of God or it's presented to you in such a way it has to come off the tree of life, not the tree of knowledge. The tree of knowledge is stored up in your mind. The tree of life is stored up in your heart. There's a difference. You say, well, you're splitting hairs. No, I'm not. I'm teaching you the scripture. That's what I'm doing. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips, I recount. The recounting of the word is... Um, to, to eventually get to the place where your heart is such a storehouse for Scripture that you have um, tallied it, inventoried it, 
You can pull it up at a moment's notice and use it in any and every situation. You have adequately filed it, stored it, and made it accessible to encourage someone, to share the gospel with someone, to, uh, to counsel someone, to correct someone, um, to love someone. It's there, inventory. It's like tally marks. It's there, you know where it is, in the heart. Okay? You've menuized, menuized truth. That's a word I just made up. You'll not need to Google that word. It's not a word. You, you menuize it. Like, I'm going to pick off of this what I have in my heart. Now I know what to share. With your granddaughter on the telephone, who's having trouble studying in her sophomore year, with your obnoxious neighbor, with your boss, with a scared little girl, coming up through high school, who's cutting her arms. You've tallied it. You know it's there. Now, why is it important to have the word of God in your heart? Because when you share out of the abundance of your heart, you'll speak it. And what happens when you speak it? The presence of God is there to heal the sick. God inhabits the praise of his people. And what always, what always accompanies the healing of people is the scripture. God confirms his word with signs following. So what has happened, here you go, we have not been diligent about storing the word of God in our heart, therefore we don't speak it. And because we don't speak it, people aren't set free or healed, and we really don't have anything to say to them that's evangelistic, therefore evangelism is on the way out. It goes back to storing in the minds of your heart the scripture, okay? In a way that's living, not knowledge that puffs up. All right, let's keep going. I rejoice in the following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. Look at that, verse 14. As one rejoices in great riches. Um, I, in my life, maybe you can relate to this. When we got married, we were broke. I mean, if there was anything below broke, we were there. But I'm, I'm stretching it to say we were broke. Our tithe, the first week of our marriage, first paycheck, uh, mine was $16. My wife was probably, she made more than me. I think it was $19. We were broke. We couldn't, pay, we couldn't afford to pay attention. We were but we tithed. I knew that. I mean, that got in my heart, man. That went, I passed my mind and went in my heart. And praise God for that. Now, what happened over the years, raising a family, raising kids, paying for clothes, school clothes, blah, 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 blah. Dreading the old, even the idea of tuition. Oh, my, that was like a, a word from the pit of hell. That, dreading those things. Driving beat up cars. We went one time where we had six cars given to us successively. Don't get too impressed. One of them was worth $25. One burned, caught on fire. One had bullet holes in the trunk. We were broke, I'm trying to tell you. But what happened is we, as we honored God with our, <laughs> quote, wealth, as we, as we paid off debt, as we, as we moved forward, as our credit slowly inched up, as, as we did, we bought our home, we did this, we did that. 
that comes on you, you know what this is, and it's different for everybody. There's a certain amount of money that you have at a certain time in your life at a certain age that's different than you've ever had before, and you can actually breathe, oh, I think I'm not going to worry for 30 minutes, right? It's, it, you're above where you've ever been before, but you're far from rich. Come on. I mean, you have a little bit of a little cushion there, and then you're like, you just keep going, and then there's up and down, up and down, up and down. Then you make stupid mistakes, like I'm going to buy stock that was dumb, and now I don't have whatever. And then eventually you get to the season of life and the point of life where you have an abundance, right? An abundance. And you, you could say to yourself, you say it in your, in your mind, we could have a Great Depression, and I'd be okay for a while, right? I could help people out. Well, the scripture's like that. It's supposed to be like that. It's a rich. It's a riches. You, you come in and you're bankrupt. You got, no, you got no scripture. You got no truth. You got nothing. You got John 3.16 because you saw it at, at, at a basketball game on a, on a piece of cardboard. You might have that. And you, you start to accumulate this. And eventually you start to like move around. And like you can have a conversation with a bunch of Christians and throw in some scripture. You're kind of feeling good about yourself. They don't even know that you messed it up because they don't have any scripture themselves. Anyway, you, you're like... All right, I'm feeling good about this walk. I can praise God. I can use this scripture. I can pray a scripture. And finally you get to the point where, man, I am wealthy with scripture. You're not because there's a lot of scripture, but it feels that way. Well, before you talk yourself out of it, enjoy it. That's a good place to be. I have truth in my heart. I can discern things. I can understand things. I can see where this guy's coming from. I, can, I got something to share at a Bible study. I'm not afraid to pray in front of other people. You, you, you know, you, all these milestones you come around. You come to your Bible study, ladies over there at Sapphire, and some newbie comes in. You got, some, you got something to say. You got something to build her up. You got something, whatever. That's riches. Now, here's, how affluent are you, my friend? That's a fair question from a pastor to a congregant. How affluent are you with the word of God? Additionally, from what tree if it's life-giving, you see, well, I'll get to that in a minute. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Verse 15, I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. Once you get to meditation, you're on your way. Most believers never get to meditation. They never get to pray in the scripture, and they leave themselves wanting they scratch their head. And, and then after a while, you do that long enough, you go, well, why do I need to go to church? Why do I need to be around these people? Because if you haven't got to meditation, if you haven't got to praying the word, if you haven't got to sharing the word, you're missed out on the best part. I mean, it's like you left in the middle of the, uh, well, quite frankly, I don't think it's of God, Brussels sprouts. You left in the Brussels sprouts and missed the, the, the chocolate sundae for dessert, man. Chocolate Sunday for dessert is where you want to be. Well, that's the scripture. That's the rich, prosperous scripture in me. And, and I have something to share and build people up and, and care for them, love them. Meditation is where it's at. All right, so for that reason, many people see memorization as a daunting task. Really. I'm going to share something personally with you and um, I guess share it with whoever you want. So I guess the whole world's watching anyway. 
I, where I sit right now, if I had to guess, I don't know, I would guess that I did enough damage to myself in my sinful living that I'd probably cost myself a great deal of uh, ability to memorize, short-term memory. I know that. I know that about myself. There are certain things that I can't retain longer than, and I'm not kidding, a matter of seconds in some cases. Other ca- my long-term memory is strong. My short-term memory is weak. So here's what I learned about memorization. It's not about that. You see, we have diagnosed an entire culture with the inability to retain information because we're too distracted, or we're too this, we're too that. Now we are, I'm not saying the diagnoses are wrong, they could be very right. If they're very right, we can't memorize because we can't retain information, we're too distracted, we're too hyper. Or we can't retain information we can't, we're t- because we're distracted, we're hyper, or, or just because we're, we don't want to put the work in, or we don't think we can, or we're too old. I can't memorize anything. Well, maybe with your mind you can't, but it was never intended to be a mental thing anyway. Let me get that, let me get that out of the way. We need a more biblical understanding of memorization. Now, that sheet you have in your hand there, if, for those of you who have been involved in this sermon series, there's been a scripture memory verse at the bottom of that sheet, on the front of that sheet for the last, I don't know, 9, 10, 11 weeks, something like that. I bet very few of you have even touched that. It's just the idea of memorizing. Memorization uh, with some, we can't really get past the word. Well, the acquisition of knowledge isn't all we think it is. An effective, lasting acquisition of knowledge, not simply rote. It's not just a mechanical, repetitious thing. If it is, don't do it. If that's all it is, don't do it. That's the tree of knowledge. We are, we are meant to memorize things with more than our brain. Because it's supposed to end up in our heart anyway, why would it be simply a brain thing? Okay? It doesn't make any sense. Um, it has to flow. Um, okay, here's a book that was half of, the last half of which was written when people couldn't read. But yet, the importance of having the word in you was as important, if not more important, than now. There were people that had this Bible before it was written. They were learning the Gospels before they were ever written. They didn't have written word. They didn't read it. They they could not have memorized it by looking at a piece of paper. They didn't have a publisher or a page or a binder or nothing. So how did they memorize the Scripture? How did they keep the word in them? Memorization is not just a mental, rote, mechanical, formulaic recipe uh, for, for acquiring knowledge. Memorization is meant to be shared vocally with one another. That's why you have an oral tradition. Without oral tradition, we wouldn't have half the Bible. An oral tradition. We have to have uh, the power of a story. We have to leverage the power of a story. We have to leverage the power of a song. We have to do things like the Psalms, uh, like the stories that Jesus told, the parables, the the accounts of the healing acts, the 26 miracles of Jesus. We have to tell a story, and we remember the story. Okay, within the story are hooks and memory. That's how you take the scripture and truly own it, not just repeating it as you drive down 64. 
on the wrong side of the road, I might add. You have to leverage the power of songs. I'll give you an example. There isn't too many people here that don't know the song by Johnny Mathis, Misty, because you were dating during that song and you kissed your wife for the first time. You know the words to that song, right? Uh, Some of you know the words to ABBA songs or Bad Company or ACDC or what you, what are you laughing about? (laughs) See, we remember songs but yet we can't remember scripture. Because songs, the leverage, the power of a song, is, is with it is an emotion, is an occurrence, is a happening. The first time you put your arm around your now wife, that was a big moment. What song was playing, right? You remember those things because you leverage the power of a song. Well, that's why there's songs in here. That's why we have worship songs. That's why we sing the scripture. We have to approach it in different ways. And I'm going to just repeat this time and time and time again. God didn't even do that. Why are we doing that to ourselves? That's torture. We end up up sharing it the same way we received it. We received it as knowledge. Now we share it as knowledge. And the people don't want to be taught anything anymore. So don't give them any knowledge. Give them life. I I found this verse to be, don't, don't give them information. I found this verse to be the thing that changed my whole entire way of looking at the world. Are you kidding me? One sentence? Yes. This powerful, man. You see, give them life. Don't give them information. And don't soak up information. Soak up life. There's a difference. The power of emotion, of song, of passion. These are things. The Song of Solomon, Song of Songs, it's a big makeout session. Remember that. I mean, they weren't forgetting that. It's... Um, It's more than the mind, okay? I get it. You can't memorize anything with your mind. Not asking you to. Sing it. Um, There are songs in my youth group that I could remember like they were yesterday. There are moments in the presence of God that I can remember throughout my life, just like they were yesterday. There was, um, I was in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, in a in a small little lodge, I was the first one up. I was up before the employees. I made some coffee. I ate some of the granola. I looked out the window, and it started snowing. And in that moment, Romans fifteen thirteen became a part of me. I opened my Bible. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. So you would overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That happened in that one lodge between 6 and 6.45 a.m. When I worshiped the Lord, when I thanked him for his hope, when I prayed that scripture over people's lives, and I ate some of the best granola I've ever had in my life. That moment right there was the greatest uh, memorization account I've ever had. And it bypassed my head, went right in my heart. I didn't have to recall it from my head anymore. It was already in my heart, hidden, counted, tallied waiting for access to anybody who was without hope. And I was rich. Man, I was rich that day. I was prosperous that day. I planted that in my heart, and God's been seeding that, watering that ever since. I didn't memorize it with my head. I memorized it with my heart. And I can smell the coffee. I can still smell the coffee. We want... Quantity, because we are Americans. 
One is good, two is better. Four must be twice as good. And eight must be 12 times better than four. We, we want quantity. And because we set ourselves up to expect quantity, it's so high and so unattainable, we just go forget it. When all we really need is quality. I'd rather you know 10 verses than try to memorize 100 and have three of them in your head for more than a year, which you don't really mean anything to you anyway, that you can't remember. I'd rather you have 10. 10 things to say to 10 different people who are really hurting, who need to hear something that's going to be life-giving, altering, that comes from the bottom of your heart, deep within the marrow of your soul. Show me that. Because I ain't seeing it. I ain't seeing that. We've turned it into a competition when it's supposed to be a friendship. There's no doubt a widow within the sound of my voice or a widower who knows what it's like to go home, sit in an empty home, lay in an empty bed, and still verbalizes a sentence waiting for their spouse to finish the sentence, but no voice comes. That relationship is memorization. When one spouse can finish the sentence of another, two hearts have become one. And out of the abundance of one heart, the second heart finishes the sentence. A familiarity, a mutual respect, a love, an understanding, a maturing, a seasoning of two people together. Right? When you memorize scripture and you do it the right way, the Lord can finish any sentence you start and you can finish any sentence he starts. You see the difference? Because of the familiarity, because of the intimacy, because of the closeness, that's memorization. We've made it a three-by-five card on on the front console dashboard of your car. It's more, my friend. Give me 10 of those. You can change the world. We know movie lines, but we can't memorize the scripture. My son can stand in the middle of a room at my house and quote the courtroom scene of a few good men with a Puerto Rican accent, a Scottish accent, an Indian accent, and an American accent. And no one in the room can help but fall on the ground laughing so hard we're in tears. If he could do that with this book. We are rehearsed, right? We rehearse. But when game time comes... What comes out of the abundance of our heart? What's in there? What's inventoried? What's stacked up? And how rich is it? How prosperous is it? It's the heart thing. Uh, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Matthew 22 and 36. I don't ever see anything about God where he actually is looking for 70%, 
He is. He's full on. 100%. You want 100% of your heart. I want you to love him with 100% of your heart. 100%. But here's the thing. Day one of your Christianity, 100% of your heart may not be that much, but it's 100%. 60 years later, 100% of your heart's probably a lot bigger. But he wants the same every time. He wants the widow's mind. He wants everything. Take one verse, friend. One. Pick it strategically. Let it seep down into who you are. And let it change the way you speak. Change the way you feel about it. Listen, heart overcomes mind. If your mind is filled with thoughts of the past, hurts, anger, bitterness, unforgiveness, vengeance, or worse yet, just total boredom, lack of purpose, lack of resolve, depressed ideas, depressed this, oppressed that. Fill that heart with truth and your head will catch up. Fill your head with truth and it'll pour out. And you'll have to replace it again. I took, I don't know, hundreds of teenagers to Camp Greenville outside of Brevard when I was a youth minister, and I, I experienced more of the presence of God there than I think I ever have anywhere else in my life, and I've been in a lot of places. And at every meal, up on the wall, you had three choices for a prayer before lunch, breakfast, or dinner, and we always chose the Johnny Appleseed prayer. We didn't memorize it. It got to where we so wanted to be together in that place, to worship together as, as, a, as a youth group. We so wanted to be together. Saying that was such an exercise of the heart, and so far from the mind, it wasn't funny. Oh, the Lord's been good to me, and so I thank the Lord for giving me the things I need, the sun and the rain and the apple seed. The Lord's been good to me. I've sung that song with hundreds of teenagers thinking it's the corniest thing you've ever could do. But they'd walk in silence over to Pretty Place, and they'd sit in that place and start worshiping the Lord, and I think the Lord stayed up all night just to hear it. Heart. Heart. It's not do we have the time to invest in the Scripture. It's do we understand how to invest in it, and it to invest in us. You have to chew it. You have to swallow it. It has to become more of who you are. And you become more like what you eat, the bread of life. If you can get to pray in the scripture, you'll memorize it. If you get to memorize in the scripture without prayer, you haven't done much. You get to pray in the scripture and then end up memorizing it, you've done a lot. You've changed a life. The answer to to scriptural prayer, the answer to scriptural prayer is yes. And yes and Amen. Pray the scripture, you'll retain it in your heart. Memorize the scripture, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It never gets prayed, it never changes his life, and it, it never really is retained. You have to attach it to something meaningful in your seat of appetites. Do you know what your appetites are? If you don't have any appetites, pray for them. Your seat of emotions, your seat of passion. Seek depth and accentuate depth, not quantity. Quality. Uh, Philippians 1.9, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. The depth of insight that we are as Christians to have, the depth of understanding, the depth of knowledge, 
is, is tied to love, not to scholastic academic ability. There's plenty of academians out there who talk about Jesus all the time and know scripture, but don't know the one who wrote it or fulfilled it or lived it. That's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You get a job, you make about forty-five dollars to $75,000 a year doing that. You can also spend eternity in hell. You gotta know the one spoke the words first that the words would mean something in your heart. One's frontal lobe is a long way from one's bone marrow. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. The word of God is living and active and sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the attitude of the heart. Joint and marrow. There's no place deeper in your physiology than the marrow of your bones. That's where God's word needs to go. Not a lot. It's pretty potent. You don't need a lot. You don't need a lot. It's very potent. Just need quality. Memorialize your scripture. All right? Here's some tips for you. The, the, the Old Testament Israelites would be moving around. They'd win a war here. They'd do something here. God'd do something significant here. They'd take down a town here. And God would say, well, build some kind of altar, memorial or something. So when, when your ancestors come back by this place, they see these stones and they recount. They remember, recount what happened here, how faithful God was. Tie verses of Scripture to things that happen in your life. I'll give you an example. I hope I'm not invading. All right, so Karen and Bruce, they're going through a difficult season of health issues. Ideally, they would have a verse or two for that season and for that milestone of being set free from those situations. So 20 years from now, or 20 days, or 20, well, 20, yeah, 20 years. 20 years from now, they look back and go, remember that season when we built that memorial to God getting us through that season. For some of you, it was bankruptcy. For others of you, it was cancer treatment. For others of you, it was estranged with a spouse. Others of you, it was a divorce. Others of you, you you weren't talking to your prodigal son or daughter. But that verse was there. That's the verse you used for that season. That's how you memorialize God doing something in your life. That's how that wasn't just something hung out in your frontal lobe. It got deep down into you. May the God of hope fill me with all joy and peace. So I trust in him so that I may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Even saying the verse that you quote memorized is never said like you would read it. It's always said with a breath, a tone, a pace, a rhythm of recounting how God had the ups and downs in that season of life during that trial and it got you through and you overcame. That's memorization. That's memorialization. Seasonize. Seasonize. I'm in a season of, um, well, there's a guy in this congregation I, we text often. He's coming off a divorce. He's got two kids. He's in a season of rebooting, re-understanding his life. He's, he's in a season of, his kids are in a season of, what's life look like when mom and dad are divorced? Everybody's acclimating to that. What verse is he memorizing? What verse is his anchor to get him through? What's his cornerstone? What's he lining up on? 
He'll get out of that season, but that verse will never leave him. You got, a, you got a son who's wayward and he's goofing off. He's making bad decisions. What's the truth? What truth is there? What are you hanging your hat on? What are you leaning on? What are you standing on? What's, what's in your heart that's immovable, that's not going to change? This is what you're standing up for and standing on. This is what you're counting for. What is it? Your business is in trouble. What verse is it? That's the one you memorize. That's the one that becomes part of you. You're starting a marriage. What verse? What verse? What verse? What's the foundation for this new adventure you're going on? We've talked about that. What is it? See, that's, that's what you memorize. You live long enough, these things accumulate. They become more than words on a page. They become living breath, inspiration. They become a testimony, a story to share with someone else. They become something that's so life-giving, so tested, so purified, so meditated upon, so prayed upon, that you would, you would stake your entire life and then some on it because you know it to be true. Not because I said it was true. Not because you said it was true. Because you lived the truth in it. You lived it. Live the verse. The tree of knowledge of good and evil is not living the verse, it's knowing it. The tree of life is living the verse. Live the verse. How many of those do you need to have, really? I'd rather have five verses I lived than 25 I attempted to memorize by rote in some mechanical, academic context. Live it. If God's church is triumphant and the church is half what it used to be, then we need depth. He'll do more with less people. Because regardless of how the people feel, God wants to redeem lost people. He wants to evangelize lost people. He wants to disciple lost people. Do you and I have the depth in which to do that? And is what we say authentic? Or is it a quarter inch deep and a mile wide? And it's hanging out here maybe for another week. Pray it, live it, share it. Seasonalize that and personalize it. Well, here's another situation. Incredible trial. Young boy. Not a boy, young man. He's 13. Biblically, he's 13. He's a young man. What's the verse? We, he, that's what we prayed up here. What's the verse for him? What's the verse that he's going to look back on that? Probably testify to hundreds, if not tens of hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands. Who knows? What, what is he going to save people as he looks back how God got him through this absolute wretched tragedy? Will he have lived a verse or memorized one? Same for you. Same for me. And it's not always a bad thing. Sometimes it's a triumphant thing. Sometimes it's a success, a, an incredible, awesome blessing. What's the verse? We sang it today. If everything was taken away from you, everything was stripped from you, if you had nothing, would you still have a hallelujah? You really know where you are with the Lord when you answer that question in your heart. Would you still have a hallelujah? Is he all that really matters at the end of the day? Not your health? Have you placed conditions on him? I'll worship you if. Save yourself. Come on.
not put conditions on an unconditional God. Surrender is the way to victory. Seasonalize. As our worship team comes up, we're going to memorize the scripture. Seek to, anyway. Two verses. From Psalm 18. Verse 3. Verse 46. Some of you already have it memorized in your head. Now how do we put it in our heart? That's the question. Now, the last two weeks come at you like a fire hose. Pick out a passage. Something that means something to you. Go back and listen to last week's message and put into practice how you're going to glean from that passage as much as you possibly can of what God wanted you to know. Pick a passage that has a verse within it that best describes where you are in your life and get yourself a twofer. Go deep in the passage and pull out a verse that can be hidden in your heart that you might not sin against them. Why is there so much sin in the world? And why is there more than enough sin in the church? Inverted. We have not hidden his word in our heart. Therefore, we sin against it. Tally, count, recount, make accessible truth. Small numbers, high yield. Not large numbers, low yield. Quality, not quantity. Depth, heart above superficiality, sentimentality, hairs on the back of your head and your arm going up and something in your head maybe for another few days before you lose it. I'm talking to some of you who can't remember why you walked into a room. Memorize with your heart. So we're going to do that now. Let's sing this song. At the same time, we'll recall it. <laughs>